It is my privilege to introduce our guest speaker this weekend. And it's kind of an interesting uh, story. A couple weeks ago, Corey asked me to speak on this topic. We're doing the Get Your Life Back series. He said, would you talk about getting your family back? I really want a series on getting your family and your most relationships, getting those back. I said, yeah, absolutely. This is awesome. I just got this amazing book by one of my friends. It's called Scene. And uh, I just bought this and it's so awesome. It talks about all of the things that I'm not going to give away right now because he's going to talk about it. But I was like, this is so cool. I'll, I'll talk about all that. And he told me about that on Sunday. He's like, that sounds great. Let's go in that direction. And then on Wednesday, I got to his house. I said, you know what? My friend, the author, lives 30 minutes down the road. I feel kind of weird talking about his content when he's right there. Like, could we just drive him over and have him speak his own content? He's like, that's the best idea ever. So I got booted. But Will is awesome. And um, no, I, I, uh, Will is awesome because he didn't just write the book on it. And we always talk about that at Cape Christian. We don't want people that just talk about it, but people who are actually walking it out. And so Will is somebody who, just as I've gotten closer and closer to, he loves the Lord, but he loves his family so, so much. And he puts them first in everything. So you're not just hearing from somebody who literally wrote the book on it. You're hearing from somebody who walks it out. So if you could please give an awesome, warm welcome to the one, the only... Will Hutcherson. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for the kind words, Joseph. And uh, that's, uh, that's so encouraging. I, I am a, a native here and uh, actually grew up just in North Fort Myers. So you people are my people. You know, you're my people. So it's good to see you all. And, um, and I'm honored to be here at Cape Christian. I've spoken a few times with the student ministry but now I get a chance to share with you today, and I'm just so honored to do that. Um, being here and living in this area, um, anytime I meet somebody who lives in Cape Coral, this is the church I tell them to come to. Like, this is it. So, like, I love your church. I love your pastor, Pastor Corey. Um, I'm hoping I can match his energy today, uh, as, you know, with all, of the, all the energy that he has. Um, but uh, I just love your church, and so I'm, I'm very honored. As Joseph said, I am a pastor, I'm an author, and I'm a speaker. Uh, a few years back, I started a nonprofit called Curate Hope, and I travel the country with uh, myself and another guy, Malik, and we have a few uh, people who teach with us and present with us, and we talk about mental health and issues uh, pertaining to kids and teenagers and young adults. And so we've been working in public schools, we've been working in churches, and that's kind of my, my world. I've kind of gone from full-time pastor for over 15 years to pastor slash mental health advocate now. And that's taken me to this journey of writing this book called Scene that Joseph was just talking about, where it's really practical tools, and I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's practical tools to help parents and caring adults who have kids and teens or anyone in their life that's hurting, dealing with anxiety, depression, and despair. Because the reality is, as we all know, uh, we have a mental health crisis among us, don't we? And it's not just with kids and teenagers, it's really with every demographic, but especially with kids and teenagers, we've seen a mental health crisis. Crisis. And as we've been in this series called Get Your Life Back, today is really about getting back your relationships. Because chances are, if you're in this room or you're watching online, chances are you have somebody in your life that you really care about. And somebody that, that is close to you. Maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a, a, a teenager. Maybe it's a young adult in your life. Maybe it's a college student. Maybe it's a coworker or a neighbor or perhaps even a spouse. And you're watching them go through something. 
You're watching them deal with anxiety, perhaps even panic attacks. You're watching them be suffocated under the weight of depression or maybe a deep despair. And maybe, and maybe you've just often wondered, how can I help? How do, how do I, what can I do? Oftentimes, I'm just going to skip around in my notes a little bit, but oftentimes the three questions that we kind of wonder and ask are, are you know, what, how can I fight against this invisible enemy? Um, I don't know if they can jump around. Sorry, guys, I totally messed you up on my notes. But uh, they might show up, but that's okay. <laughs> it's my fault. It's my fault. But there's these, these three questions. I'll just read it from my notes. Um, that we wonder, like, what can I do against this invisible enemy? Maybe you see somebody who, who's struggling, and you're just like, I, I don't know how to, how to help. Oh, here it is. Uh, am I missing something, right? And we look at the people who are suffering in our life, and we wonder, am I missing something? And, and am I doing everything right? Am I saying the right things? How do I support somebody who's going through, as one theologian called it, the dark night of the soul? How do I, how do I help? And perhaps it's very likely that there might be somebody even here in this room or watching that you're experiencing this dark night of the soul. And sometimes we can kind of condemn ourselves or put guilt or shame on ourselves when we go through this, these things. And we think things like, maybe I just need more faith, or maybe I just don't have enough faith, or maybe I'm just not praying enough. But the reality is, is, is none of that's true. You see, just like you have a heart, a physical heart, just like you have a stomach and you have organs in your body and you have eyes and you have teeth that have to be taken care of, you also have a brain. And that brain is an organ just like every other part of our, brain, our, our bodies. And that also can sometimes just have some things that happen. And sometimes it's not just spiritual tools that there are practical tools that we need to engage and recognize that, that God has wired our brains in a certain way and that if we can understand that and have wisdom to understand that, then perhaps we can help shift things into a new perspective. And so I'm often reminded of Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, that says, it is he who changes the times in the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings and he gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. You see, when we look at all these things that have happened, we can stop and pause and say, you know what? God's given us wisdom. That there are things that if we can understand how our brains are wired and what's happening around us in our world, that perhaps we can change the trajectory of this mental health crisis that we're in. And that sounds like really good news, doesn't it? Well, good news. It is good news <laughs> that there is an answer, that there are things that can actually influence the brain and lead them to healing. Now, let me pause and say this, though. Um, uh, I'm going to say a lot of things today, and I'm going to pertain them more to parents, because parents, uh, I want you to be equipped with some practical tools to help your kids. However, these tools that we're going to talk about today, which are very practical, can, can be applied to everyone. Like, these are connection tools. These are just people connection tools. And so as you're listening today, consider them all people skills, you know, like coworker, neighbor, spouse, whoever's in your life, if they're suffering or hurting, you can use these tools to, uh, to help them. But parents, let me say this. Um, I'm also a parent, so I have three kids. Uh, in fact, this year, I have a middle schooler for the first time. How do you feel about that? Um, I know, I literally, I was like, whew, 
I say it now, and I'm like, it's real. <laughs> it's real. And I could dog middle schoolers, by the way, and talk about how, you know, their irrational thoughts and, you know, all their, their emotional mood swings. But the reality is, is here's what I'm learning about my kids, especially as they get older. Um, I've learned that it's not necessarily that they need to change. It's actually how I need to grow, right? Like, me as a parent, like, it changes, by the way. It changes, doesn't it? Parents, you get this, especially if you're a grandparent. Something miraculous happens in the teenage years, by the way. Like, you go from this place of authority and, and position in their life, and then over time, that dwindles, and now the, the influences in their life are more relational influences, right? Like, their friends become a, a higher level of influence in their teenage years. And so as parents, if we can figure that out and actually lead by influence instead of by position, we, we can do some things differently. And that's what I'm learning as a parent. And, uh, and I'm not the best at it. Like, I, I kind of get this mixed up sometimes. Um, I had one time I was, um, I'm sure you don't do this, but sometimes I ignore my kids. <laughs> do you, yeah, you know, and I know you guys, you're super parents. Like, I can see it. I can see it in your eyes. You, you watching online. You're so present with your kids. You're actually home, like, with them, you know. Like, you're watching this with them, perhaps. I'm just kidding. But, um, but yeah, I was, I was ignoring my daughter and, uh, you know, swiping through, you know, and I could blame it on media, right? I could blame it on Facebook. You know, it's their fault, you know? I, I don't know why, but I was just ignoring my kids. And my, my three-year-old comes up to me and she goes, Dad, Dad, Daddy! To which, after the third Daddy, I go, yes, Reese, but I never looked up from my phone, you know? And this little three-year-old, not content with my my response grabs my chin and pulls it towards her face. And she goes, look at me. <laughs> and she had never done that before. Now, here's what, uh, here's what you know, happened. I had a choice to make, right? And the choice was I could in that moment remind a little three-year-old to have patience, right? I could have told her, you, you need to have patience. You need to, you're going to time out. You know, I could have done uh, whatever. Or I could have chosen in that moment to let her teach me something, to be more present. Because what, what Reese needed in that moment, she didn't need me to just simply acknowledge her. She needed me to see her, right? And honestly, if I can just be real, this whole mental health crisis that we're in, I just have a hunch that we have a whole lot of us that just don't feel seen. I mean, 2020 in itself as a year of not feeling seen, wasn't it? I mean, we were, we were literally away from our coworkers. We were just home with our kids and our, our spouse. We were just not seen. And then we have this year of fear and loss and fear and loss, fear of security, fear of safety, fear for health. We have the losses of dreams. We have the losses of plans. We have, in some cases, the losses of loved ones. And it's almost as if like the last 18 months have put our minds in this, this survival state. And for a teenager and for a young adult, a survival mentality is, is even worse for a brain that's already dealing with high anxiety and high despair. Let me give you some stats that are kind of pre-COVID stats to give you an idea of what we've been dealing with. So specifically in the, the next generation, suicide rates have increased by 76% for ages 15 to 19. And this is just in the last decade, by the way. Uh, additionally, we have suicide rates nearly doubled in teen girls. 
we have um, the highest rate of increase in suicide among all age groups is in kids between 10 to 14 years old. So oftentimes we think this is a teenage problem or this is an old person problem, an older person problem. But the reality is that we're seeing that even younger kids are dealing with high anxiety, despair, and even suicide ideation. And this stat, by the way, if you're wondering, how old is that? 2019 is that stat. We have depressive symptoms are up 21% in boys and up 50% in girls. And suicide attempts among black teens increased 73% between 1991 and 2017. And there is an elevated risk of suicide, specifically among African-American boys ages 5 to 11. Now, researchers don't necessarily know why, but there is an elevated risk specifically in this demographic. And then the last one is that in early 2020, an estimated one out of four young adults contemplated suicide. Think about that. One-fourth. And so here we have these, these kind of issues that are arising in a, in a season and a time where even now we're still in this fear and safety and this tension of COVID. And meanwhile, we have a mental health crisis that is sitting right in front of us as well. It's no wonder at times, sometimes it just feels like we're powerless. Like, what can we do? As a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I sat across the table from a parent or a teenager who was suffering and going through hardship and feeling despair and knowing that I had spiritual tools, but I wasn't quite sure what the practical tools were. But remember how I said there's hope? There is. There is always hope. And when we understand how God wired the brain and we understand how we can help do some things to influence healing, then there is a great amount of hope because research has showed us, you ready? That love and empathy have powerful effects on the brain and can actually help heal despair, depression, and anxiety, or at least contribute towards the healing of despair, depression, and anxiety. Now, this isn't an overstatement, and this isn't a, a magic pill to say this is going to solve all the problems. But what, I'm a, what I am saying is that when we slow down, when we see one another, when we have empathy and compassion and connection, it influences the brain in ways that actually promotes healing in real, tangible ways. Let me explain it. Let's break it down this way. And I'm going to give you a mini neuroscience lesson. You're like, I came to church. I didn't know I was going to have neuroscience. Well, here you go. Here's your neuroscience lesson. So when we take the brain, your brain is very complex, but we're going to simplify it. And we're going to say that your right side of your brain is where your emotional processing predominantly takes place. And your left side of your brain is where your logical processing takes place. In a healthy brain, you kind of have these these back and forth functions. You have a feeling, you feel a feeling, and then you kind of logically process that feeling and vice versa. Kind of goes back and forth. The problem is, is that when we experience despair, high stress, cortisol, a stress hormone, starts to kind of flood the brain. This activates a part of our brain called the amygdala. And that that amygdala can sometimes just go really overwhelmed, like, like really high, high alert. And what happens is when this takes place, the brain actually begins to kind of separate. Now, not physically, but in terms of processing, it creates this barrier. Despair goes way up, and anxiety and depression and despair continue to rise. It's almost as if someone who's experiencing this, this level of despair 
oftentimes when you ask them how they feel, because there's this disconnect, the response is, I don't know. Or they might respond and say, I just feel numb. Because we need our logical processing in order to put things into words. And when we are experiencing despair, we just can't do it. It's almost as if there is this separation. But here's the cool thing. So the cool thing is that we, individuals, together, we can help heal despair and anxiety through connection. Because something else happens. When we feel empathy from another person, when we feel connected to, there's another hormone called oxytocin. You may have read about it, heard about it before, but it's an emotionally bonding hormone. And that goes to work when we really feel seen, when we really feel connected with somebody. It starts to flood the brain. And specifically, it can reroute our brain back to places of feeling safe, even early attachment. And when that happens, the whole alarm on the right side of the brain that says, I'm not safe, I'm not safe, I'm not safe, begins to come down. And the brain begins to come back together. And this is where logical processing can re-engage, where somebody can actually start to express how they feel or even start to logically process their emotions. And over time, through love and empathy and through connection, we can actually see a whole brain kind of come back together. So this is really good news. It's good news because even though we're in a mental health crisis, God has still given us a way. And it just so happens, by the way, when you look at the, the life of Jesus, he modeled this so well. Jesus didn't just come and speak to our logical brain. He spoke to our heart, i.e. the right side of our brain. He saw people right where they were. I think about many examples of where Jesus actually saw people. Jesus saw the woman at the well. He slowed down and he had a conversation. Jesus saw Zacchaeus up in his tree and he went and had dinner with him. Jesus saw the woman with the alabaster jar. Jesus saw Peter on the beach when he was filled with shame and guilt and remorse about what he had done. Jesus saw Mary and Martha at Lazarus' tomb. And before he spoke life into Lazarus to come out he first saw Mary and Martha, and the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. And I often think, why did Jesus weep? He knew, he knew what he was about to do, but I think Jesus wept because he simply understood the power of being present, to mourn with those who are mourning, to see them, to meet emotion with emotion. So I told you I was going to make this really practical, and I'm going to make it really practical. And I want to give you two tools to help people when they're experiencing high despair or anxiety. So uh, maybe you're here, by the way, and you're experiencing this yourself. These tool tools can also help you, by the way, and especially when you start to connect with somebody else and be open about what you're going through, these tools can help you to kind of uh, manage some of this yourself. So two quick tools on how you can help somebody and connect with them on a deep level to help them feel seen. The first one is to show up and slow down. And what I mean by that is by, there it is, so show up and slow down. To show up and slow down. Um, showing up is 50% of the work. We live in this fast-paced culture, and I know over the last few weeks you've been talking about this, that our culture is so fast-paced that we are going 100 miles per hour. And when we are going 100 miles per hour, you know what tends to decrease? Empathy, love, slowing down and seeing one another tends to decrease. 
But showing up is 50% of the work. So two quick practicals on that. First one is to show up undistracted, to put your phone down and, and not necessarily have this, this, this barrier between you and the person that you're communicating with. Um, adults, we like to give teenagers a hard time about this, don't we? But the reality is, is this technology thing is no longer just a, a younger generation problem. It's an all-generation problem. We are just as addicted to our devices as the younger generation. Maybe different apps, you know? If you're over the age of 60, you might be more addicted to Facebook. Uh, if you're under the age of 25, you might be more addicted to, let's say, Snapchat. I don't know. But the whole idea is that we are just as bad uh, uh, than, than even the younger generation. So we have to choose to kind of disconnect. Now, let me say this, too, about phones and technology. Because inevitably, anytime I talk about this, there's somebody that, like, you know, yeah, that's right, brother. You tell them. We don't need this technology, you know? And, like, you know, like, I have a flip phone, you know? Like, uh, those people. So let me speak to this. Like, I don't want a world without smartphones. And I know you don't either. Like, in a real practical way, you really don't. Because none of us want a world without cars, right? Think about that. Imagine if you didn't have a car. It would have taken you, I mean, half the day to get to church, right? But think about it. Like, we've had cars for like 100 years. So now they're safer. Like, they have seat belts, they have airbags, they have cars that park themselves. But it didn't start that way, right? In the same way, phones are, we've had them for like 10 years. So they don't have a lot of seat belts. We don't know how they're affecting us completely. In smartphones and technology, we don't have a whole lot of safety features yet. So we have to create our own safety features. And part of that is recognizing our own boundaries, but then helping lead the next generation to creating their boundaries as well. But when we need to connect with somebody, even the presence, research has shown, even the presence of a phone can sometimes decrease vulnerability. So take this and put it way over there and just simply see the people when you need to show up. When somebody's in a crisis, when they're experiencing high anxiety, just show up and slow down. Um, a couple years ago, I was going to meet with um, a teenager who had just gone through a major crisis. His dad committed suicide. And as we were driving, I was kind of looking, uh, me and a small group leader, I was looking through my Bible, and I was thinking about what I was going to say. And I remember this dad, who was a fire chief, had dealt with many of these situations and dealing with somebody who was going through a crisis. He said, listen, you don't, you don't need to say anything in this moment. He's like, just, just understand the ministry of presence. The ministry of presence. And that, that is so true. It's 50% of the work is to simply just show up and slow down. Um, and show up undistracted. The next one is this, to show up when it's inconvenient. Especially if you have a teenager. Let me talk to parents of teenagers, by the way. They always want to talk at midnight. <laughs> There's actually science behind this, by the way. Like, their Kirkardian rhythm, like, kind of, the way that their brain functions, uh, they tend to be more uh, talkative. And we know this as youth pastors. My history of working in youth ministry, um, when we're on a camp or a retreat, like, they're always wanting to talk at, like, midnight, when every, you know, leader wants to go to sleep, right? But sometimes we just have to show up even when it's inconvenient. So when you have somebody who's hurting, show up, slow down, show up undistracted, and show up even when it's inconvenient. All right, here's the last one. The last one is simply this, that, um, oh yeah, when we show up, they feel loved. Uh, they feel loved. So the next one is this, that we need to see them. We need to see them. Specifically, we need to see them beyond the behavior 
to see the emotion. See beyond the behavior and to see the emotion. So going back to that brain illustration, right brain, left brain, right? Let's say that you have somebody in your life and they're really upset. Let's say uh, parents, I'll use this example again, like you have a kid who failed their test. And they come home and they're upset and they're like, I failed my test and they're crying and you know, I can't believe it. They start blaming the teacher because they always blame the teacher. And as a parent, what we do typically, our knee-jerk response is, well, of course you failed your test. Last night I was telling you to practice or study and you were, you were on Xbox Live and you know, we've gone through this before and you told me you were going to study and then you never did. So you know what? God doesn't help those who don't help themselves. Right? And we just want to give logical processing. But here's the problem. When you have somebody who's right brain activated and you meet them with left brain, what happens? You pass right by them. So when, it, when we talk about seeing them, what we're talking about is to meet right brain with right brain first. Meet right brain with right brain first, and then you can bring in the logic. The way I like to put this too, another way I like to say it is, win the heart before you try to lead the mind. And that's with everybody. So think about it. You have a spouse who's upset about a situation at work, and you want to go ahead. Husbands, we're terrible at this, aren't we? We want to fix it. And husbands, you get, you get upset too. You're like, I don't know why she's so angry at me. I was just trying to help. <laughs> because you didn't see her. Meet right brain with right brain first. Here's what that looks like. Your kid comes in, your spouse comes in, they're upset. They're distraught and they're like, I can't believe it. Blah, blah, blah. Just, you can see the emotion. And instead of saying all the logical things to fix their problem or tell them why they need to do something different in the future, what if you just simply said, oh, you failed your test? Yeah, I failed my test. Oh, I bet you feel really disappointed. I would feel disappointed if I failed my test. Yeah, I do feel disappointed. Okay, sit down. Tell me about it. And just what would happen if we just listened? And then maybe after 10 minutes, then parents, we can say all the logical thing. Then husbands, maybe after 30 minutes, we can... (laughs) We can give our logical answers. The point is, when people are right brain activated, just meet them with right brain first. Meet right brain with right brain, and then left brain with left brain. When we do this, here's what we end up doing. Going back to that brain illustration, the right brain gets so overactivated. When you allow people to just pause and you see them, what you're doing is you're allowing them to what, what we like to call emotional exhale. So imagine you have all of this like emotional breath in you, like, <gasps> And if you keep it in, after a while, it pops. It comes out in panic attacks. It comes out in, in despair. It comes out in different ways. But if we can ever so slowly at times when we feel connected to, when we feel seen, when we feel empathy, we allow people to just go and emotionally exhale. When the emotional exhale takes place, then we can engage the logical brain. But we can't do it first. We have to first meet heart with heart. Then we can meet mind with mind. Does that make sense? All right. So when we show up, they feel loved. When we see them, they feel understood. So let me close with this. We need to fight for those that we care about. Parents, we need to fight for our sons and daughters. But I want to leave you with this last thought. That we need to fight for them by changing the way that we connect to them. 
not demanding that they change, not demanding that, that something's different for them, but to simply choose to say, what can I control? And what I can control is the way that I connect with them. Now, inevitably, you might be somebody in this room and you say, well, you know what? My generation, we were just, we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps kind of people, right? And I get that. But the reality is, by the way, that the generations have changed. And the things that we had early on in generations that kind of helped build resilience to overcome these negative emotions, we no longer have. To give you some examples of this, you know, I often thought, like when I read Paul's life, I'm like, he should have been in therapy, right? I'm like, he was shipwrecked, beaten, all sorts of things, bitten by snakes. But let me tell you why I think Paul didn't need therapists. His culture was so much slower. He processed. I mean, he probably modeled the same model that Jesus had where he would go in solitude and prayer every morning. If Paul had to go have a meeting in Lehi, that would be like a two-day deal. And what did he do while he was going to Lehi? Well, first, he probably had to get in a canoe, but he would, he would just process, right? He would maybe pray. He would think about his thoughts. There would be this emotional exhale. If he was walking with somebody, there was more connection in that culture than there is today. There was no podcasts, no audiobooks, no music. It was just Paul, his thoughts, and Jesus. I think about my grandparents' generation, those that are, were kind of, you know, the 75 plus crew. I watched them as I was a young boy and I watched them sit in living rooms and eat cake and tea and just talk. And there was a time in our culture where you used to have a special cookie jar or a, a little cake just in case somebody came by, right? Because we had more connection and conversations. Now, if somebody stopped by unannounced, we'd be like, what are you doing? Chances are, if you're over the age of 50, you can't think of a single person in your high school who had suicidal thoughts or even attempted suicide. But if you ask a teenager, almost every teenager knows somebody. And chances are you do too. Our world's changed. And physical places have been replaced by digital spaces. And the thing that we need most right now is face-to-face -face connection. And specifically, we need to feel seen. We need love and empathy. We need people to see beyond our exterior and to see our emotion. We need times where we can just emotionally exhale in a safe environment. Let me say this, if you're watching online today or you're here in the room, and maybe you don't feel seen, and maybe you're the one that feels exactly how I was describing. Maybe you're even here and you know you've had thoughts of hurting yourself. Look at me. I need you to know that there's always hope. And how you feel today isn't how you're going to feel forever. That feelings are real and they're important, but feelings are just feelings. And there's always hope. And maybe you don't feel seen, but I want you to know that there's a God who does see you. And you're here for a reason. You stepped into this place, you clicked that button, and you're watching this because there's a reason. And I believe it's because there is a God that loves you and he sees you, he sees your pain. And maybe there was a time where you had a relationship with him and you've kind of turned your back and you're like, I don't know, God doesn't love me anymore. Listen, you can take a thousand steps away from Jesus. It only takes one step back to him because he's never left you. 
He's never left, he's never left your side. He's right there with you. And so if you need to just say, Jesus, I need you, and you need to turn your heart back to him, it's a simple prayer. It's not hard. He doesn't make it hard for us to experience salvation in a relationship with him. It's simply saying, God, I need you. Forgive me of going my own way. Forgive me of my mistakes. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died on the cross so that I could live and that you rose again so I could have the hope of heaven. Come into my life. Lead me. Be my Lord, my leader, my savior, my rescuer. It's that easy. It's a prayer. And watch. Watch as as God and light come rushing into your darkness. I believe it. Maybe you're here in this room and you have a kid or a teenager and maybe as a parent, you feel like you failed. The problem with teaching this connection content is inevitably parents, we feel this parent guilt. We feel like we didn't do enough or we could do more. But listen, I want to just pause and say, listen, it's never too late either for you. It's never too late to recognize that you can connect and to see your kids, your teenagers in a different way. So I want to encourage you that no matter how you feel, you haven't failed because parents, more than anyone, you have a superpower to help heal the brain. Your kids, their emotional memory is stronger than their cognitive memory. So when you choose to engage and see them in a real practical way, their brains go back to early attachment into places of safety quicker than any other person trying to do that. So parents, just know your love is a superpower and it influences kids in a big way. And so just keep loving them. It's not a magic pill and I get it. Like, you know, you, you gotta let yourself off the hook here. But I just want you to know you're not powerless, that there are steps you can take to help the next generation. And the last one, I just wanna say, if you have somebody who's struggling, whether it's a kid or a coworker or a spouse with despair, anxiety, or depression, There are practical tools that help, but there's one tool that is most powerful, and that's the tool of prayer. Prayer is a powerful tool. And so I wanna invite you in this moment to let's just start, let's pray for them. Let's pray for those who are hurting, those who are experiencing some of these, these anxieties and depression and despair, because I believe that there is a God that sees them, he loves them, and he wants to come rushing in to their situation. Let's pray all across this room, watching online. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you. We thank you that you have not left us alone, that there is always hope. I thank you for the wisdom of understanding how you've wired us, how you've created us, and specifically how you've created our brain. That even in the midst of our culture and high anxiety and despair, that God, you are with us. I pray that you would help us as a church, as a people, that you would help us to see one another differently, that you would help us to connect on a deep level, to show up and to slow down, to help the brain that you created be influenced towards wholeness. God, I pray for every single person who's listening or watching online, who doesn't feel seen by you. God, I pray that you'd come rushing into their situation. I pray for every parent, every spouse, every caring adult, anyone who has someone that they're concerned about. I pray that you would give them a heart of compassion. I pray that you would give them a heart that sees others differently and that we would choose to engage in a new way, that we would choose to connect in a way that we've never connected before, that we would choose to walk as people that helps others to feel seen. And I pray this all, 
In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Give it up for Will Hutcherson. Such a good message. Just want to give you a quick encouragement. Again, his book is out in the lobby. And if you are a parent of young kids, teenagers, or even if you just have a relationship that you feel like uh, is maybe slipping away, you're not seeing each other the same way, I would just encourage you. I've read this book already. We actually have Will coming back tomorrow for a leadership meeting as well. Uh, for all of our youth leaders as well. This book is so practical. It will give you some real live tools to use and implement right away. And it's all under 99 pages, which, you know, how do you get that in today's world? So that's super awesome. Um, make sure it is out in the lobby. So you can stop by that booth and buy that. Other than that, we love you guys, and we'll see you next week.